Hey everyone, this is Jonathan Capehart. Welcome to Cape Up. This week, my guest is House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi. I went to the U.S. Capitol to talk with her about a lot of things, from Zika funding to the possibilities of a President Trump. Those two words will never go together. And you gotta hear what happened when Pelosi asked me if I'd had a polio shot. It was cute, kind of like getting caught in a lie by your mom. Hear how all that went down right now. Leader Pelosi, thank you very much for for being on the podcast today. My pleasure. So I understand you sent Speaker Ryan a letter Mm -hmm. asking him to not use any uh, of the materials that have come from, could come from in the future, purloined documents, uh, hacked documents that might have come from Democratic committees or Republican committees. What's been the response from him so far? Well, I haven't heard from him directly. Through the media, I've heard him say that he's referring questions to the Republican Congressional Campaign Committee. Uh, I do think that this should be an easy call for the speaker. Uh, Are you on the side of our democracy? We cannot allow a foreign government to hack our systems and then doctor documents and turn them over to someone else to dump them. To be fair, I think I was not just asking him not to use them. I said, let us both join together not to. We're not going to be using them if they have anything uh, from the Republicans. So far, though, they've really just focused on hacking and dumping uh, Democratic content. Mm -hmm. And is it surprising to you that you haven't gotten any reaction from Speaker Ryan, given his past statements on Russia and um, the the threat of cybersecurity threats from Russia? I'm rarely surprised around here. (laughs) Another thing that Congress is is working on or trying to work on is Zika funding. Uh, The Senate tried to vote on a $1.1 billion funding program that was scuttled because of a Democratic filibuster. But we're facing an emergency here. There are confirmed cases in Florida. How confident are you that Congress, with the House and the Senate, will be able to come together and pass legislation before the money runs out at the end of the fiscal year, September 30th? Well, let me first um, disassociate myself from your first premise, the Senate Democrats. Uh, stood in the way of a passing of a bill. No. Uh, What has happened here is that the president, in February, uh, asked the Congress for money that science said was necessary to address the public health crisis that was coming on, uh, that was documented, the need was documented, and the rest, $1.9 billion. The Senate came up with a bill that was $1.1 billion unpaid for, which was a good thing, but wasn't good enough because it wasn't enough money. But nonetheless, that's the bill that we asked the Speaker to let us vote on here, to which he said no. So the uh, problem is that, A, this should have been dealt with immediately in the spring. We should have had an emergency spending bill to address this with no offsets instead of cannibalizing our research, uh, whether it's taking money from Ebola, cancer research, or whatever it is. That's what um, has had to happen in order to pay for any of the initiatives we have for prevention, vaccine research, or anything so far. But the money is running out. The cupboard is bare. And we must pass legislation now. So why wasn't this done in the spring? I mean, is, is it, does it all boil down to just 
partisan politics? No, it doesn't. It, it boi well, it boils down to a different philosophy. I don't call it politics. I just say it's a philosophical difference. And the Republicans, will, uh, while this is a public health emergency, uh, just as a natural disaster would be a public health emergency, uh, they have refused to call it an emergency, and they insisted that it be paid for, and the offsets were very damaging uh, to the priorities that we have. The Senate came up with something less money but unpaid for, but they wouldn't accept that. Uh, the Speaker basically gave me the impression that they're not interested in doing any emergency funding. And way back in the spring said, we're just going to do this through the regular appropriations process. And that was going to take until the end of September to do. Uh, we've lost a lot of opportunity in terms of prevention, in terms of research, in terms of uh, just the spread of the mosquito. Uh, so hopefully, I mean, we had public health experts in who spoke about the science is clear, the urgency is here, Congress must act. And so that's what we hope to do now. There's one other element to it. It's not just the pay-fors, which are damaging to our other investments. It's the ideological op opposition of the Republicans to any legislation that funds contraception. Mm -hmm. you know, and that leads to something I was just about to ask you. And I wanted to read you a quote that came from Don Stewart, who's the spokesperson for the Senate Majority Leader, uh, last month, where he said, quote, apparently they, meaning the Democrats, believe an earmark for Planned Parenthood in the future is more important than preventing the threat of Zika now. A lot of people might hear that and think, yeah, what are those folks on Capitol Hill thinking? Well, my response to that is that that is a an excuse, not a reason, that Republicans are saying it's about Planned Parenthood. I keep saying, let's forget about Planned Parenthood for a moment and just see what they want to propose. We're talking about mosquitoes. Perhaps we have to talk about birds and bees. If you have a sexually transmitted infection, whatever you want to call getting bitten by a mosquito who is um, uh, carrying the Zika virus, you should stop the transmission of it sexually. And, and the speaker said to me, whatever I might decide to do, it's not going to have any funding for contraception. He didn't say Planned Parenthood. He said contraception. Mm -hmm. It's just ridiculous. But it's an ideology that they have that prevents them from supporting stem cell research, embryonic stem cell research, fetal tissue research. Do you have a polio shot? Uh, no. You don't have a polio shot? I don't think so. You probably have a polio shot because they don't let kids in school without polio Then shots. I probably had one. <laughs> yes, ma'am. I had one. <laughs> but you were saying. <laughs> if you have a polio shot, which has almost eliminated polio from the globe. Right. That was developed through fetal tissue research. The Republicans in the Senate have been very uh, effective, apparently, from your question, in saying two things. One is the only reason we don't have the Zika funding is because of Planned Parenthood. That's not the only reason, A. And B, they keep saying, why don't you just spend the money you have well, they have, and the cupboard is bare, but they want the impression to be, we've put out all this money. They haven't put out one cent. They've said, go to Ebola, cannibalize other public health investments, cannibalize uh, other biomedical research in order to pay for something that should be an emergency, voted immediately, sent to the president's desk six months into research and prevention. Earlier, you just said, uh, the speaker said to me, you, as, as we all know, as a former speaker of the House, 
your predecessor, John Boehner, had, I'm sorry, your successor, John Boehner, had a time of it with his caucus. Yeah. And so I'm curious to find out from you um, your assessment of how the current speaker, Speaker Ryan, what do you make of his ability to corral his caucus? We shall see. This is really going to be important as we go into this um, CR and omnibus season. When we did this before, last December, he was a brand new speaker. Um, we did very well in the negotiation, and I think that some of his members think we did too well. Uh, they had wanted a six-month CR. We're saying we can only accept a, a three-month CR. I think they'll come back to the three-month. They may put some poison pills on it, and we'll see. How often do you talk to, to Speaker Ryan? Do you have a, a, a relationship, a good working relationship? Well, we have a friendship. Uh, uh, I, ha I have no... Um, Anytime I call him, he's available. He's, he's, he's accessible. And I think we have a, a, a respectful relationship. I always grant people their position. You know, I don't, I don't say, well, you're for this and I'm for that. That's what they come here to do. That's who they represent. It's a philosophy. It's a regional maybe difference of opinion as well as a philosophical. I have a drastic difference of opinion with the speaker. I think nothing spells it out more clearly than the Democratic budget versus the Republican budget, the Ryan budget, uh, particularly the um, provision in the Ryan budget that takes away the guarantee of Medicare and Medicare for seniors. That's a big deal, and it's uh, emblematic of other differences in values that we have between our two budgets. But again, recognizing that we represent two different points of view, where can we find common ground on issues that are not so ideologically based? As it, His is an ideological budget. Ours is a more pragmatic budget. What can we get done? How can we work together? The biggest difference, one of the big differences, and I've told you this before, between Democrats and Republicans is we're there to negotiate. We have confidence in our point of view. We believe in the strength of our arguments. We have enough humility to know there might be another way to do this, and how do we find common ground? That sounds like governing. It does. It's what we come here to do, actually. It's our job. And when you say our job, you mean Democrats and Republicans. Congress. The job Congress. of Congress. But for, to my mind, for the last six years, there have been fewer and fewer people on the other side of the aisle mm -hmm. coming to Washington who have that same philosophy. How difficult has that made it to govern? Well, again, I think you've heard me say that they're anti-governance because in the history of our country, we've had the spectrum. Where are you on the spectrum? How much federal government role, local, state? How much is the role of government involved in, a, in a public policy? The, and, and that's been the difference between the two parties. This group comes in and they're anti-governance. They're off the cliff. They're not even anywhere on the spectrum. They're not conservatives. That's a legitimate place to be. They're just anti-governance. So anti-governance, anti-science, this is the anti-fact party. Fact, evidence, science, they're not there. Because you have to act upon it. If you, if you, if you accepted the fact of climate change, you accept the fact of early childhood education, you have to act upon it. So they're not interested in that. Anti-governance, anti-science, and of course they're anti-Barack Obama. And back to the start, what does that mean for Hillary Clinton when she becomes president? Well, I think a lot of it will depend on where this campaign goes and what the public sees is at stake. Well, I mean, you, you just stated very confidently Hillary Clinton, when, she's, when she becomes president, you believe that firmly. 
This is this isn't politics talk. Absolutely. You believe it firmly that she absolutely. You have faith in the American people. I have that faith they in are. the American people exactly. I have faith in them. Public sentiment is everything. Abraham Lincoln and uh, I, polls. Some are outliers. Some are real. Some of them. Uh, it's. I always think people should think of it like the World Series. That it's not a question of how many home runs you hit cumulatively. It's in what games you hit them. You make you you outscore, and she's going to outscore him in so many states that her electoral college uh, number is going to be a very successful one for Hillary Clinton. Successful translation. If you could see, if you could see Leader Pelosi's face, to me it translates to landslide. But well, is it doesn't that- have to be landslide because I always say that the elections are like the Olympics. The difference between gold, silver, and bronze, and nothing, is very small. But when you see the people on there having their gold medals, look at Michael. I mean, look at all of them. This is, the person was right on there. <laughs> right on his face. But no, it doesn't right. matter, they're not, even, they're not even bronze. So it's, it's a it matter of, if it's timing, it's a matter of a fraction of a second. If it's distance, it's a fraction of an inch. Mm-hmm. And that makes the difference between winning and losing. So when you go into it, you have to go into it like you're going to the Olympics and you're going for the gold and it's going to be a small difference. If it happens to be a big difference, as it was with Katie when she won, she was lapping the other swimmers. I don't know if you saw her. That's a good thing, too. But in order to do that, you need people to come out and vote. And so how worried are you that um, your very confident confident view, which is shared by millions of people, yeah, yeah. will lead people to stay at home and well, not that's come out danger. and vote? And no, then no. we end up with a yeah. President Trump. Those two words will never go together. They will never go together. Uh, the, I, again... I don't want to be disrespectful the pre- until the people speak. Uh, they are the boss, and that they make the decision, and I'm respectful of that. But I do have confidence uh, that Hillary Clinton will be the president. And it's not because it'll be a landslide or anything. It's just because she'll win enough electoral votes to win. And at the same time, I want her to have a strong, popular vote. So to your point, and this is, a, this is the main point, you, you hit the nail right on the head. If people think she's going to win anyway, they may not vote. That hurts us down ballot. So we want them to not only elect her, but for her own governance to elect her big. And that helps us too. But it's not just for us. It's for her as well. Now, how much of the confidence that you have in a President Hillary Clinton translates to Democrats retaking the House and you potentially becoming Speaker Pelosi again? Well, it just depends on, uh, we are in a good place. We'll win a large number of seats. Uh, In a presidential year, it all depends on turnout. So again, it comes back to uh, people think she's going to win anyway. It it dampens enthusiasm. So we want them to have a, a, a other motivation, which is we wanted to win big. I think I think we come close to taking the House, but if she wins by like five, six points, I think everything Democrats win everything. How much damage do you think Donald Trump's candidacy has done to American democracy? I don't spend a whole lot of time thinking and talking about him. 
Uh, I do think that his saying to the Russians that they should hack Hillary's uh, emails reeks of so much ignorance of, of, of who we are as a country and what that, what that is that it, it's stunning to hear a so-called professional success, I guess he's a success, uh, talk that way. The Russians are not just doing this to help the Republicans win the election. They're doing it to undermine the American democracy. They are autocrats. That's the way they like to see governments run. And democracy is uh, anathema to them, true democracy. And they'd like to embarrass democracy. So what, uh, what's his name? Putin? <laughs> Trump. Trump. <laughs> I just call him the gift that keeps on giving. But the, the gift that keeps on giving is doing is um, really aiding and abetting the enemy. Let me ask you a, a personal but yet a, a political question. And that is, you're a powerful person. And you're a powerful woman in particular. You mm -hmm. worked very hard mm -hmm. and experienced a lot to get to the position that you're in now and the higher position that you had before. And I'm just wondering, how did you deal with the low expectations or no expectations of those who discounted your abilities um, because you're a woman? Oh, I totally ignored them at having their own problem. It was it never never meant anything to me. When I ran uh, for my first leadership position, people, it, it seems it was only like 14 years ago or something, but it might have been 100 years ago because people said, who said she could run? Or they said, um, why don't the women just make a list of the things that they'd like to see done and give it to us and we'll get it done for you? Poor babies. <laughs> <laughs> So, but I have, I've told people, don't let yourself ever be bogged down by other people's limitations in terms of what they see in other people. You know, that was, that's their problem. That's not your problem. You just be who you are. Take confidence in what you bring to the table. Uh, always have a humility of uh, learning from others or, you know, expanding your universe of possibilities. But don't limit yourself what other people expect of but you. That's a, that requires a, a strength in, yeah. in people that a lot of people don't have. Mm -hmm. where, where, did, where did it come from for you? Well, I'm a mother of five children. I raised my five children before I came to Congress. And uh, I uh, keep saying to moms out there, this is probably one of the most rigorous training experiences anyone will have is to raise a family. It's a very wonderful thing, but it's, it's a challenge. It's one of the most difficult jobs because it's, but it's diplomacy, it's organization, it's housekeeping, it's chauffeuring, it's quartermastering, it's cooking, it's, it's, it's a dispute resolution, it's, it's everything at any given time. And uh, that time management thing, is important. But I, I don't know, my, my motivation, maybe it's better just to go to my motivation. You know, I'm a mother of five, and it always bothered me that one in five children in America lives in poverty. And that poverty not only pertains to their opportunities, but also the time their parents had to spend with them. And I wanted the best for my children. That didn't mean having them grow up in a society where other kids didn't have a chance. 
And so that's my motivation. So every day, in the morning, I don my suit of armor for the one in five children who lives in poverty. We go to sleep at night, I pray for them. And I just don't see how in the greatest country that ever existed in the history of the world that um, this exists. And when people say to me, well, you have to make these difficult decisions and you have to tell some people that they're not going to have their wish one way or another, I always just say to them, it's not about you. It's about the one in five. And whatever it is you're doing is not in furtherance of helping the one in five children in poverty. But that's my motivation. That's why I have such admiration for uh, Senator Clinton, soon to be President Clinton, <laughs> because that has been her motivation as well, and I share it. And I know the first time I ever saw her, she was holding Chelsea as a baby. And I was being introduced to her as this formidable woman who had done this and had done that and had done this. And I was, oh my gosh, this is so intimidating. And what did I see? Hillary holding Chelsea as a baby and to see in her eyes and in her care for her own baby uh, why she cared so much for other children as well. One last question. What are the three skills that a good politician or a good leader must have? I don't know if they're attributes, but four things to measure up to. One is, and I, I, I talk to young women about this all the time when I travel, and I get this question all the time, how can I do, you know, go down this path? One is you have to know your purpose. What is your purpose? What is your vision? What do you care about? What is, what is it that attracts you to, say, public service? What is your vision? What is your knowledge? What do you know about this? that people will respect your judgment because you're informed. What do you know about it? And you have to know what you know, and you have to know what you don't know so you can seek it out, so that people will respect your judgment. So you have a vision, you have knowledge and judgment. You have a plan. What is your plan? You think strategically? How are you going to get this done? How do you go from here to there? What is your, what is your goal? Is still the vision. What is your timetable? What are your milestones along the way? How do you measure your progress? Vision, knowledge, plan. If you can communicate that, that you have a vision, that you know what you're talking about, that you have a plan to get it done, you will be able to attract. You will be able to attract support. But that's what leadership is about. House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. Thanks for listening to Cape Up. Tune in every Tuesday. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. You know what? Do me a favor. Subscribe and then rate and review us. I'm Jonathan Capehart of The Washington Post. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ.